podcast. We're your cyber sisters, Allison and Emily, two cyber educators talking about EdTech pedagogy and this week, Heat and See 2023. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am so excited uh, to see you all back. I know both Emily and I um, are really, really chomping at the bit to finally discuss um, Pete and C. Now, obviously, this was our conference back in, oh my gosh, it was February? I mean, is it really possible that it was that long ago? It feels, I, I swear, because we've been so busy, it has felt like it was that last week. <laughs> it feels like long and short at the same time. Simultaneously, a lifetime ago, and also last week that I was looking at all of these different materials and kind of combing through and thinking about uh, what, what to share with teams and, and what to kind of uh, siphon away for later in the future. So as longtime listeners of the podcast know, um, Pete and C is the Pennsylvania Educational Technology Expo and Conference. Um, this year, it was held at Kalahari Resorts, ooh, um, which is sort of uh, very, very close to the Poconos um, in Pennsylvania here. And it, it really has become sort of a great tradition for Emily and I to sit down after going to this conference and just sort of talk about our experience, um, some of the you know tips and tricks and things that we picked up, but also some of the big topics um, that people are discussing. Um, and, and it's a nice opportunity for us to sort of share our notes with one another and kind of uh, get on the same page. Because let me tell you, conferences are one of those experiences where, uh, you know, we we always have intentions of kind of going to different things together, different sessions together. And we always end up being, uh, you know, torn in different directions. You hit this one, I'll hit this one, um, and we'll, we'll reconvene at a later point. Um, so we are super excited uh, in this episode to share a lot of our tips, tricks. Uh, if you are someone who has access to those session recordings, some of the ones that we suggest that you go back and take a look at um, and uh, jump right in. But before we do, uh, why don't we start with just a rundown of our experience? Emily, how did you like uh, Kalahari Resorts and how did you enjoy Pete and C 2023? Um, before we go further, I also want to, just because I don't want to forget to do this later, and I want to make sure that we do our due diligence that we give a big, huge shout out to Karen Sagerwalt for the name of this episode. She always suggests um, having a date with Pete um, or a date with whatever conference you've been to. But because it's Pete, it's always fun to just put a date with Pete in your calendar um, to sit down and go through all of your notes from the conference. Um, and she always suggests this and she says it at every conference, at everything. Um, and we asked her, we said, can we make this the name of our podcast episode? And she graciously said yes. Um, and it's always more fun to have your date with Pete, also with someone else, to help you do that brain dump and uh, process all of your notes with. Thus, we have our date with Pete and the Cyber Sisters. You bet. <laughs> I wanted to make sure we properly did that shout out before we went any further. And I forgot because I'm sure by the time we get to the end of the episode, I will have forgotten that we didn't do that. Um, I was going to say, considering we had like a tangent conversation of about two hours before we even <laughs> got to recording this episode today, I have a strong feeling that that will be the chance. Many a rabbit hole was gone down in the making of yes. this, this podcast episode today. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that doesn't count the other planning meeting for the podcast that we have. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Qu 
quadruple the runtime, right? Um, actually, in in our session that we we did, one of the questions that I feel like we get asked every year um, about sort of making a podcast is, you know, how long it takes to edit and all that kind of stuff. And I always say double the runtime. Your podcast is how long it usually takes me to edit. Um, it's like quadruple for planning time. <laughs> The runtime quadruple, that's how long you should, you know, plan uh, for an episode and, and you'll be about where you need to be. Uh, so Kalahari was definitely different than Hershey um, and different than Pittsburgh. Um, but I think Hershey's the one that everybody compares it to. Uh, there, I missed the hot chocolate. I missed the peanut butter pie. I feel like everybody's going to say that. Um <laughs> Definitely was not the same without the hot chocolate in the morning. Made me very sad as a non-coffee drinker. Um, but it definitely, it was an interesting venue for sure. Um, but it was nice to be back with everybody again, um, which is always what I, one of the my own high, personal highlights of Pete, to be back in the same room with everybody. Um, it did just feel, it felt different. Um, I think because it was so spread out, um, there wasn't, it was sometimes hard to find people, um, but it was, it was definitely an interesting experience being there as opposed to, um, at Hershey or that one time in Pittsburgh. Um, I was like unprepared for Calgary. <laughs> I don't know why I... I had not, like, I've heard, like, I live in Pennsylvania. It, it's not the first right. time I've heard of Kalahari Resorts. Um, but apparently, I did not know that they are basically Animal Kingdom in the Pocono Mountains. Um, like, I thought it was going to be a little more, like, Great Wolf Lodge. Like, I was expecting, like, a sandy mountain situation. And I come up, you know, driving up that driveway. And you just see, like, big, tall statues of, like, giraffes and elephants. And I was like, what is this? This is incredible. Um, so it, it really was a very interesting place to be. Um, Emily and I went up the night before sort of conference, it, it, even before pre-con, um, which we went to, we um, went a night before so that we could kind of get settled in. Um, and we went to the water park and, you know, got to kind of walk around and enjoy some food together, um, you know, and, and relax uh, in the hot tub and have some great conversations. So it, it was really fun um, as a place to be. So if you're looking for like a fun family vacation, like highly recommend. Um, I definitely think that similar to Emily, like it, it's tricky as an expo center because like it was definitely spread out. And I think for a lot of expos, that may actually be a good thing because it, it didn't really feel crowded at any point, even though there were a ton of people there. Um, but I think that coming off of the last couple of years of COVID, you know what I mean? Um, we were all so excited just to like see people. Like I kept walking up to people and giving hugs and, you know, sort of saying to them, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You're not behind a screen um, and, and having really fantastic conversations. So it, it really was great. Um, even if it wasn't, you know, as, as I think tight knit as that Hershey experience is, um, I was just happy to see everybody. I was just so happy to sort of be back in, uh, this space of learning. Um, I think one of the things about Pete and C every year, regardless of location, those hallway conversations are just as valuable as any session you're going to go to because you go and you get this very concentrated kind of learning. And then you have really practical conversations with other teachers um, in the hallways about, you know, how do you apply that? 
Um, what does that look like in your schools right now? What could it look like? Um, and I, I think that this was a great experience in terms of, of being back in that environment where I felt like, oh, I have my whole like, you know, teaching, you know, education world, uh, ed tech world together with me again. Um, so I, I felt very grateful for the experience, um, but I am, am certainly looking forward to that return to Hershey. Though I do want to still give a really big shout out to that Kalahari staff, because let me tell you, they were working hard. Their food was delicious. Everything was, you know, put up, put down, super easy. So they they did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Um, we're we're a big group. <laughs> we yeah. asked a lot, um, and they they really did a tremendous job. So it, it was a really fun fun conference. So diving into this episode, um, we've got a couple of different segments for you. Um, We've got, uh, first of all, our connections section. Uh, Both Emily and I went out, um, found some really cool people that we'd love to tell you about. We're hoping that at some point we can make some connections with them, maybe on the podcast here as well. Um, But we did get to uh, make those connections uh, at Pete and C, and we'd love to talk to you about the fantastic stuff they are doing um, and make a recommendation here. Um, We'd also love uh, to uh, share some recommendations if you are someone who who registered for Pete and C. And so you have access to all of those recordings and we're not able to get to every single um, uh, session. You know, I've, I've been sort of going through one or two every week pretty much since uh, we were at Pete and C to really make sure I'm getting all the content that I possibly can. Um, and so we're going to give our recommendations for recordings you should definitely go back to. And I think potentially if people want to still register to get recordings, is that a thing that they can do, Emily? Or is that a thing you can only do at the beginning of the process? I think it's closed now. Okay. But I think it might be closed now. All right. Legitimate. But just know, guys, that is, I think, one of the biggest um, draws to Pete and C is that even if you're not able to go... registering just to get access to those recordings later. Um, I know last year um, I, you know, ended up sort of going virtually um, to Pete and C um, because we had, you know, a, a family emergency. And so I just, I wasn't able to go um, at the actual time of the conference. Um, but I was still able to look back at all of those recordings. Um, and it really is, I, I think, a great bang for your buck. Um, so if you're looking for that, a great way to sort of get all of the benefits of a conference, well, most of the benefits of a conference, um, and, uh, you know, have access to it at a time that is convenient for you. Um, So we are going to share some of our top uh, recommendations um, for which ones to watch. If you have access to those accounts, it'll be right in your attendee service center um, for those of you who had registered. Um, And then finally, we're going to round out with our big discussion, which is all about sort of our top three tools and tips, um, topics, things like that, that we sort of came away with thinking about for ourselves and are looking to implement into our own uh, coaching slash teaching practice. So I am really, really excited. I think it's going to be a fantastic episode. Um, why don't we start with our connection? So Emily, um, tell me all about your connection, uh, what's she doing, and uh, you know where can people find her? Yeah, so I love making those connections. In fact, um, to your point about the recordings, which I know we're going to talk about in a little bit, Um, I kind of realized that I could hit up some of those poster sessions instead of sessions a couple of times because I could watch those recordings of the sessions later. Very true. I can't watch recordings of poster sessions later. Very true. Um, So there were a couple of times where I opted to hit up poster sessions instead of record instead of sessions because I could watch them later. Um, But I digress a little bit. Um, I, the very first session I went to 
was called um, the PL Playbook. And I'm going to talk more about that later because it was one of my top three sessions and I absolutely loved her. Um, but she has a podcast called, it's Jackie Winepoop. I think I said her last name right. Um, we'll it in the show notes. Yes. Um, it's called the PL Playbook Podcast. Um, and I have listened to a couple episodes and it's fabulous. She also did an an episode on Pete and C. Um, she did similar to what we did when it was in Pittsburgh and interviewed some people there um, and released it very shortly after because she did all of her recording when she was there. Um, but I connected with her and I have her business card and we're hoping to do maybe some sort of collaboration thing maybe for next season. Um, but it, she had a fabulous session it was amazing. Um, so highly recommend catching that recording if you are an instructional coach or maybe even not even catching her recording, just looking at her notes um, and all of her resources. Um, because honestly, she had a ton of resources. It was fabulous. I've already gone back to her resources several times already. Um, so really excited about the potential for us to reach out and potentially collaborate with her next season. I, I agree. Knowing sort of what's coming up later in the episode, some of the tips and tricks that she has to share. Um, she's just very creative about coaching. And I think a lot of the things that she's doing, you could adapt to a classroom very, very easily. The more time, um, we, we certainly went to quite a few coaching sessions, Emily and I. Um, I think there was a real theme of it at this particular Petency. There was just a ton of um, of materials there. Um, and what I really found is that anything that you do with adult learners, like you can adapt to student learners. Um, and so a lot of those, you know, skills and ideas and, and creative uh, things can transfer. So and I think anything that Emily is sharing there can also be uh, applicable to classroom life. Um, for me, I made a really fantastic connection um, initially over Twitter um, with Chris Stucco, um, who is the uh, host of the Ninth Grade Experience podcast. He did a live um, podcast right from Pete and C. Um, he actually did it sort of as a session where he talked about um, the experience of putting the podcast together, some of the tech he used, um, you know, really great stuff at the beginning. And then the, the rest of it was recording the live podcast. Um, I was one of three guests um, and it was a such a fun time. Um, and the way that Chris talks about his, you know, show basically is that everybody has sort of a ninth grade experience and, you know, moving from that middle to, you know, senior high kind of moment is such a big moment for so many kids. Um, it shapes a lot of things about, you know, their future. Um, and I think a lot of the time that we as adults look back at what kinds of things we were concerned about or thinking about in ninth grade, we can see sort of the very beginnings of where where we ended up um, in life. And so there's some great lessons and some great discussions uh, to be had about that particular moment, that particular transition. Um, and it, it was a really fantastic conversation. Um, so definitely one to check out. We'll link to the episode um, in our show notes, um, but highly recommend Chris. We're going to try to do some collaborations with him as well next season. So we, we, I think it was so funny, Emily and I were walking around at one point, we just had a clipboard of all the people that we wanted to have on just based on either sessions or these connections. We're like, oh, did we fill out season five already? <laughs> like, are we done? <laughs> 
I think we might be done. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of behind the scenes, you know, sending things out and coordinating dates and, and all that kind of stuff to go. Um, but it, it was it was a very good feeling to feel like we were um, getting to collaborate with other people in this sort of ed tech podcast space. Um, you know, it, it felt like a very happening kind of place to be. Um, so speaking of happening place to be, um, unfortunately, we can't have our top uh, tech tips, topics, and tools. There's a lot of teas there. Um, uh, be, be every single great session that we took a look at, but we did want to shout out um, some, you know, really fantastic sessions that we either went to or watched um, later on recording that that we just thought are were absolutely bang on, um, and and ones that if you have access to, definitely take a look at the resources, take a look at the notes, take a look at the recording, um, and may even be some spoilers for people we'd love to get on uh, for our next season. Um, so Emily, tell me about your your top three uh, sort of mentions that you like to give uh for pedency yeah so um this should probably come as no surprise to anyone including these two people um but my top one is girls gone google karen and missy are fabulous individuals um we're not even a google school and this was one that i was like i'm going to this session just because i need one session to sit and enjoy myself um, however, I still picked up tips and tricks and tools. I was going to say, same. Um, <laughs> not a Google school either, but several things that were still usable, even if you're not Google. Yeah. Um, especially because they're usable in Chrome um, and everybody uses Chrome, I feel like. Um, so highly enjoyable to just sit and watch and soak in um, Karen and Missy's Googliness. Um and they're just fabulous individuals who we cannot sing their praises enough because they're amazing. Um, and then my other two uh, kind of go hand in hand, although they're two different people. Um, Nifty 50 and 60 and 60. Um, I confess that I have not actually watched the recordings, but I pulled their resources um, because they are basically both sets of a ton of resources. Um, which is sometimes what I just need. Like, hey, I am looking for a tool that does this, or I'm out of ideas for this teacher who needs something different. Um, so just to be able to go and just pull their resources, um, I hadn't gone to either one of them because I had gone to both of them in the past. And to be honest, they're both a little bit too fast paced for me. Um, but to be able to look at them later and just pull their resources and go through them at my own pace is exactly what I need. And both of them changed their formats a bit. So they were all new resources, which was completely amazing. Um, so those are my top three. Allison. How about you? I am also going to start with some friends of the podcast. Um, <laughs> um, you know, listen, we, we've got cool, cool ed tech friends. Um, so the first one that I want to shout out, um, Karen Stegerwaltz, um, come on down gaming with a purpose. Listen, we all know that I am a huge fan of anything gamification. Um, I've been talking with one of my uh, sort of coaching partners right now about all sorts of, you know, gamification and environmental things um, from a coaching perspective. Um, and I just thought that this particular 
particular session did such a great job of really talking about the whys, the mechanics, the psychology. Um, I thought Karen had just such a great grasp of, you know, the variety of ways that gamification can take place in a classroom. Um, And I I just thought she broke all the concepts down in really fun, engaging ways. Um, She always gives, you know, she's one of our our girls gone Google. um, And, you know, she's always very, very engaging. um, And it, it was a fantastic one. Um, another friend of the podcast, um, Rebecca Gibney um, with Environmental Explorer. Um, this was a really, really great um, uh, one. Another one that I did watch um, in recording. Um, but listen, Rebecca, another very engaging speaker um, talking all about, you know, sort of exploration um, and, you know, different kinds of educational environments and just really, really fantastic stuff. Uh, she knows what she's talking about. So highly recommend. Um, uh, technology and team building. Um, this is another one. One that like we it starts out you know very much with team building but it has um, a real um, gamification undertone um, with Paolo Tolomeo and Jennifer Tooney um, who I you know know from a lot of my work with um, Gamify Ed um, Jennifer has you know always sort of been somebody that really participated in a lot of our book studies um, and does really incredible gamification stuff they both do um, and so their presentation really took a lot of using technology and sort of some gamification and sort of um, you know team building activities and thinking a lot about how you know technology can be used to help build um, stronger and more collaborative environments um, I think that in any situation where, you know, we're talking about education, you know, community building, um, that collective teacher efficacy, all that kind of stuff. We know that it's so important, um, but the how of how do we build a culture? How do we build a team? um, How do we make it happen in a way that doesn't feel uh, just like trite? You know what I mean? I think sometimes there there can be this sense of um, team building, being something that is extra and a little bit coercive um, to build connections. And I think that they had a lot of really great suggestions about ways to do it um, organically. Um, so those, those were my top three um, for ones to, to go back, rewatch. Um, all three of them, fantastic uh, presenters. So you're going to laugh, uh, you know, you're going to be engaged, um, but you're also going to come away with some really fantastic resources. We should have Jen on. We should add her to the list. I listen. Sounds great. Sounds great. Season five, guys, apparently it's just going to be like 19 episodes long, <laughs> which I don't think anybody would complain about except for potentially um, our workload. <laughs> um, but yeah, fan- fantastic stuff. Um, we, I, I think I really felt like so many of the presenters like turned out this year, um, you know, because I know there were a ton of people who were not able to go um, last year and, and the year before, you know, we, we were all together in cyberspace. So I think people had some time to really refine uh, their presentations and they they came to present. They came with their best stuff. They came to collaborate. Um, it always actually kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you did this in Girl Scouts, Emily, when you would go to like Jamboree and stuff and there were like swapits, um, yeah. you know, you, you you make so for, for those of you who are not Girl Scouts, when you go to Jamboree, you make essentially these like little cool creative pins um, and you swap the one that you made for something that somebody else made. Um, and you can end up with swaps that are, you know, all over the country, all over the world, depending on how big your Jamboree is. And I always feel like this is like teacher Jamboree where it's like, yeah. I've got my really cool presentation and I'll swap you for like your really cool tech tool and I'll swap you for like your really cool strategy and your really cool model. And, um, you know, you, you walk away with so many best practices. So fantastic, fantastic time. While we're on the subject of things that we 
learned. Um, what was your top session that you went to um, for tips and topics? What did you pick up that you are so excited to share with us? All right. So first of all, I want to say, guys, all of these are a three-way tie. Okay. Every single one of these. <laughs> There's, they're all they're all amazing, and I, I really appreciated them, and I thought that they were the ones that were sort of best for discussion um, on the podcast. Um, so I want to start by talking about yes and using improv for design thinking, uh, Melissa Ann Perro's session. Um, as you know, uh, Emily, <laughs> <laughs> I love theater. I have um, no idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, not an integral part of our friendship at all. Um, and... I, this just, I saw the name of it and it immediately appealed to me. Um, For those of you who are not necessarily familiar with um, design thinking, design thinking is sort of a, it's a a problem solving uh, framework, um, a strategy for how to design solutions, how to take students through the process of designing solutions. I I guess technically anybody could use design thinking. It doesn't have to be students, but in, in education, we're primarily using it um, with students. And uh, Melissa was basically taking these sort of rule. Oh, go ahead, Em. We also might want to take a step back and explain what improv is to for anybody who is not familiar with it from their extensive theater background. like you Ab- Absolutely. Um, so in, in this session, Melissa was talking about her um, experiences with improv. And in, improv is improvisational um, theater, which basically means theater without a script. <laughs> you, you have a bunch of actors. They usually are going to have some sort of prompt. Um, and they are making everything up on the spot. Um, you can find improv troops, improv classes, all over the country now. It is a super cool, super trendy thing. Um, And improv, I think a lot of times in my experience with theater was used kind of as a way to do creative warm up before you would move into scripted work um, or blocking or things like that, because it it got you into the process of making choices. Um, When you're working with a script or when you're acting, um, you can make so many different choices about the way that you say a line, the movement that you say on a line, who you make eye contact with, who you don't make eye contact with. Um, And improv can be a really great tool for helping students um, of theater to kind of find ways to build on each other's choices and to to build a really reciprocal relationship. Um, Even if you go to shows that are entirely improv, um, it's based on this real um, trusting relationship between all of the performers. um, And they usually follow a set of rules. Um, So uh, Melissa was talking about a a quick quick set of rules here. I'm going to kind of read through some of them. Um, But I I just want you thinking about this from sort of a a teaching lens, right? That one of the things that I think many of us in the educational space right now are struggling with is students who are one of two things. One, they're not as engaged as they could be, um, or they are engaged, but maybe they are so structured or so used to structured structure in their thinking um, that they struggle to make creative choices or to think critically about something and come up with their own explanations, ideas, reasoning. Um, And basically what Melissa was saying was a lot of these skills that are built through improv um, can help us to build more collaborative, more critical, um, more 
uh, open classrooms for discussion, for ideas, for problem solving, where we're able to move um, farther away from sort of those depth of knowledge one kind of problems and move more into those depth of knowledge four kind of problems where students are, you know, creative and thinking and making. Um, and you can think about these tools as a way to community build, um, to get get kids sort of more trusting, working together and problem solving together. But then also she adapted several of, you know, some, some really famous like improv games. She adapted them into like classroom exercises that had content associated um, with them. And it, it was really, really fun. Um, so when you think about improv, the, the rules that she sort of focused on in her presentation were first and foremost, say yes and. Um, inside of improv, um, you never want to say no to another actor's choice, right? Because no shuts down the scene um, and it keeps it from building. So a lot of times what you try to do is say yes and something else. So for example, um, if Emily and I were playing right now, and let's pretend Emily uh, said, you know, I'm climbing a tree in this scene, I wouldn't say, no, Emily, you're not climbing a tree, right? I would say, yes, and I am climbing with you. Yes, and I am, I, I see a tornado coming in the distance, right? Um, it, it, you know, sort of affirms what that person sees and adds information, always adding new information into the scene um, that can um, make it more interesting is what you're looking to do. Now, think about that in the context of a discussion, right, with students, right? If we can teach them how to do it in the context of like a little improv scene, a little warm up, and then imagine a class discussion, I see this character doing this in this scene. Yes. And I see them doing this thing in this scene. Yes, and I see um, I, I'm able to draw the connection between those two scenes that maybe this is something that I can predict will happen in a scene further, right? Um, so we can use a lot of these same rules um, to, to think about conversations later. Um, another one is don't block. Um, so don't get in another person's way um, when they are about to come up with some idea, right? If somebody is about to say something, if they've got a yes and, um, you're you're going to make sure that their idea is able to be fully formed, and then you're going to come in after they have finished, right? Avoid asking questions unless you're using it to add information, right? You don't want to say, well, what do you mean by a, a tornado that is coming uh, as Emily is climbing the tree, <laughs> as you you can tell I'm very much improving this uh, in this particular podcast episode. Um, you know, you, you that sort of slows down the action because you're you're thinking about the reality of the situation. Um, you might ask a question that says, "Oh, do you mean um, that tornado over there to the west, or or that tornado over there to the east?" Right here, you're asking a question, but really, you're just using that as a way to add more information to the scene. Right? No, there's not one tornado. There's actually two tornadoes. Um, but you you want to just be able to accept whatever that person sees, um, and then you're you're going to build on that um, at, in, in your own time, in your own way. Play in the present and use the moment. Um, this is a big one because it can be really easy when you are um, inside of improv to be thinking about what you're going to say down the line instead of um, what's actually happening in the moment. And even as adults, how many times have we in discussion, right, been thinking about this is the point I'm going to make. This is the quote that I'm going to say. This is the like thing that I'm going to have in discussion that I'm going to add instead of listening to the thing that somebody else actually had to say. Often, right? I, I think that this is one of these things that we do unconsciously because we're sort of trying to prepare. Um, but here, 
we we want to train um, students and and improv actors, right, um, to be in the moment. Don't don't be farther down the line, right? Be in the discussion that is being had here um, and and live in that moment to really be engaged in in what's happening rather than planning for the future. Um, you'll be able to to get to that moment, um, but if you want to be really present and kind of get the most out of it, you've you've got to be present um, with the people who are in front of you. Um, establish the location. Um, so this is an important one. Um, make sure you know sort of the bounds of whatever it is that you are um, improving in, right? So, you know, if you're having a discussion, understand, you know, the, these are the people who are in the discussion. These are the people who are in the scene. These are the people who are outside the scene. Um, this this is the material that is inside the scene. You know, we can use, um, you know, the, the things that are at our desk, but like, you know, don't go out into the hall and, and use things that are there. Um, be specific, provide colorful details, change, change, change. Um, so more specific um, inside of improv is better, right? Because the more information that we have, the more color that we can give the scene, the more vivid the scene is, um, the more entertaining it is for the audience, right? If I'm pretending to be a certain kind of character and I'm pretending uh, that in inside of, you know, my empty glass is actually uh, a beautiful, frosty, uh, root beer float, right? Um, for me to provide a lot of uh, imagery around drinking that root beer float, what it sounds like, um, you know, maybe the ice cream mustache that I get on my face and having to wipe that off, it makes it easier for um, people to visualize, but also it gives more information for my fellow actors to be able to make. Uh, calls with or be able to use something, right? If I'm sort of wiping off my face from that frosty root beer float, uh, my fellow actor is going to be able to come in and, and they're going to be able to maybe make a, a funny line about that or start helping me um, or, you know, riff off of that in some capacity. Um, so a lot of these rules that we talk about inside of improv are also really, really great for culture and community building. Um, and she, uh, the, the discussion I thought was really, really rich um, around how we could use a lot of these improv exercises and improv rules to help build um, discussion. And specifically, she was really more focused on design thinking and problem solving. Um, you know, as we're trying to solve a problem as a class or think about a problem as a class, um, you know, how are we yes anding? How are we adding new information but not blocking other people's entrance um, into the discussion? How are we being present in the moment and listening to um, fellow people? How are we, um, you know, avoiding asking questions in, in ways that don't add to the actual discussion, right, but that, that single people out? How are we thinking in creative ways that change the problem? Um, and, and how can we use those in, inside of that method? I was particularly impressed by her talking about um, several different actual um, improv games uh, that she can use. So she she talked about Yes And, which is kind of like the most famous theater one where you tell a story, um, uh, sort of like I, I said here with Emily, um, where, you know, somebody makes a statement and then somebody says Yes And, and you go all the way around the room. Um, there's lots of ways that you could do that inside of discussion in a classroom, but also, you know, just as a fun way to get started in class so that everybody's feeling warmed up and maybe kind of laughing and enjoying themselves. Um, I also loved uh, Tableau um, was one of the ones that she talked about. Tableau often involves um, taking a picture of something, usually sort of like a famous picture. It can be every, anything from an advertisement to um, a picture 
uh, that was done, you know, sort of famously in history. Um, the Last Supper is one that I've seen done uh, in improv shows many, many times. And you try to recreate it with whatever materials you have available to you. Um, and so at improv shows, that's really funny because you can see people running around and grabbing hats off people's heads or asking for people in the audience, oh, can I can I borrow this from you? Can I have your wallet? Can I have, you know, that, uh, you know, hat you're wearing, sir, can I have whatever things you have? And they put together a, the best approximation they can of what, what the Last Supper would look like or what the famous advertisement would look like. Um, there's a ton of ways, though, to use that inside of a classroom space, though. How could you take um, a diagram of a cell or um, even like a math problem was, was one of the more creative ones that came out of discussion. You know, here's an equation. How can you represent that equation with things that you find in the classroom or what a cell looks like and how it functions with uh, things that are in the classroom? And you can gather up either physical materials um, that are going to be like interesting and abstract and students have to kind of think in different ways. Or if you're in the cyber environment like us, um, you may want to uh, give students like movable pieces, for example, of like really really random um, objects and think about how could they arrange these random objects and why did they then, can they explain why did you use these particular objects to represent what the cell looked like or what the math equation looked like, right? That math sentence um, sort of looked like. So I thought that that was another really fantastic one. Um, sell it to me was uh, another great game. This is one uh, that I've seen many, many times in improv theater. We actually used to do it uh, at my old uh, college, um, which is you will start with something very random. Uh, for example, a pen that somebody brings to class and you have to sell uh, to the group why this pen is like the best pen. Um, and I could see some really fantastic things existing in classrooms are, uh, sort of around that. Um, you could look at inventions uh, throughout history. You could look at certain time periods. You could look um, at different books. Um, you could look at characters in those books, um, certain tropes. Um, one, one suggestion that I loved was around um, poetry devices, like which poetry device was like the best poetry device for, for conveying something, um, you know, can, can you sell that device to me? Um, obviously, you can do it in, in science or, or mathematics in different ways as well. Um, but really interesting place to go just for inspiration around engaging activities that were critical, um, but also had a lot of collaboration and engagement and, and just some fun to it. So a major, major shout out to Melissa, um, fantastic presentation. Um, and I really took away a lot from it and have a ton of ideas um, of things to recommend to my teachers next year around these these topics. And that's why I hate improv. <laughs> <laughs> Emily did come to this session. Did you come to this one? No. No. <laughs> so improv, maybe not your thing. Can you tell me one of, one of your top things that was like something more, a little bit your thing? I think mine are also tied. I was trying to figure out which one to go with first. Um, I think I'll go with the one that I think is closest to yours. Um, I went to a fabulous session. I mean, I went to so many fabulous sessions. Let's change that. Um, but shout out to Sue Allen. Um, amazing South Central Regional Director. But that's beside the point. Her session on feedback was amazing um, for, it was geared towards teachers, but I picked up so many things to, to give to my teachers. Um, and several things, hold on, I'm going to reword that. 
I picked up so many things to be able to share with my teachers and also in how I give my feedback. I really loved how she said to focus on those strengths first, especially because when we're giving feedback to students, a lot of times we're just giving feedback on you should fix this or use this to make things better. Um, the other thing that she shared, and she shared several different examples, um, feedback stems or making a feedback bank um, if your LMS doesn't have one. Um, a lot of LMSs these days do have one already built in or a spot to make your own. Um, but if yours doesn't have one built in, you can just she shared just how she had made one in a Google Doc. I was sharing this with a group of teachers literally the following week because I have a group of teachers who was wor who are working on feedback. So I shared with them some of her resources and um, someone from there shared with me the magical Chrome extension. And it truly is magical <laughs> because basically what you do is you can make your own feedback banks and you can have it make just like a letter. So you'll do like colon S and then it will say, make sure you capitalize the first letter of your sentence because that's what you set it to. Or colon E, expand on this idea more. So all of the things that you would normally type in your feedback, you can put in there. And it also keeps track of like how many hours of time you have saved, which is kind of cool because it keeps track of that. Um, so bonus tip that I didn't learn from Sue, I learned from one of my teachers. Um, but she just had so many different ways of offering feedback. And I know we've talked about feedback before on the podcast, but it was all the way back in season one. Um, but I just really liked the idea of using, having a canned feedback bank that is easily accessible to you, whether it's in your LMS, whether it is just a Google doc that you can just keep copying and pasting things in. If you want to use the magical Chrome extension that I hadn't heard of until I shared this with my teachers and they shared it with me, um, or some other way. I think it is a really great idea because a lot of times we do end up using the same, at least the same stems over and over again, whether it's not the exact same wording, but at least then you can get something there first to then tweak. I literally was flashing back to season one and like the video <laughs> feedback thing that we did. I'm like, I wish that there had been something that was counting how much time I was saving <laughs> as I was doing it. That just, that feels so good. Um, I love the magical Chrome extension. Um, I absolutely think that this is one of those areas where we can be saving ourselves a lot of time and continuing to give really good um, feedback to, to students. So I, I love that tool. Um, and I really love that if it's something that your LMS doesn't have, I remember the first time I encountered one that was built in when I moved to actively learn and I was like, Oh my God, this is going to save me so much time. Um, so the fact that you can have that anywhere. Oh, chef's kiss. We love it. Yeah. When they told me that I was like, Ooh, tell me more. Um, so I did download it. I find I don't actually use it because I never write the same feedback twice. 
um, just well, because. Well, we have much, I feel like we have a lot less people yeah. there than a difficult classroom teacher does. <laughs> well, and our, the feedback that we give in our role is just so, so different. It's so individualized. Um, I don't think I've written the same thing to more than one teacher yet. Yeah. Um, but for teachers, it's so powerful. Um, even just things like, here's the help document. Check, like, here's this video to help you access your course. Or, like, how many times did we write that? Here's how, here's how to clear cash. Oh, my gosh. Right. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That should be one. We should make that one. Um, so even like things like that, like it doesn't have to necessarily be subject specific feedback. It You could make that. Here's how to clear your cash because we write that in emails a hundred times a day. Right. Um, so you can make it say any like the example that they give when you first log in is like happy birthday. Um, so you can make it for anything. So I think it's just it's so powerful for things like that where you do you the number of times you send directions to kids for how to clear your cash. Um, <laughs> so, so powerful. Um, so now that we've talked about improv, we've talked about feedback, which you do get feedback in improv too. Um, what else do you have, Allison? So my number two um, was a presentation by Miranda Ralph. Um, creation versus consumption. How do you move the needle? Um, I saw that title and was just like, yes, yes, please. That's exactly what I need to know. Um, and it, it centered around something that I have heard of inside of ed tech spaces, but had never really actually gotten a chance to learn about it. It's kind of how like edge of protocols were for me for the longest time. Where, like, I know there are edge of protocols, do I know what they are? Do I know what they're for? No, I have no idea. Um, and that was the um, pick rat model. Um, this is a phenomenal tool if you are working inside of a cyber classroom, if you are working somewhere where you are using technology. I'm even thinking about this tool, um, how it applies to my coaching practice um, and making sure that the way that I'm using an ed tech tool um, is sort of appropriate. So basically the ed, the, um, the pick rat model uh, basically has uh, nine different squares um, and it has two axes. The first one is what students are doing with a particular piece of technology. And the second axis is how does the use of that technology impact the experience of learning? And basically it starts from um, what students are doing with the technology. Are they passive with the technology? Are they interacting with the technology? Or are they being creative and creating with the technology? Um, that's one axis. And then the other is, is the technology replacing something that would exist in an analog environment? Is it amplifying um, something that would exist in an analog environment? Or is it transforming um, the learning in some capacity? So replacing a learning tool, amplifying uh, learning that would be happening there or transforming it into something that could only exist um, inside of that sort of digital technology space. Um, and basically a, a lot of this presentation focused on that sometimes when we first integrate technology into um, classrooms, we have a tendency to focus on um, sort of the 
to the left bottom center of our chart, right? So passive replacing, so accessing a digital textbook or um, transcribing notes or completing just like a digital worksheet. Like it's a pretty passive process. It's just replacing something that would exist in an analog environment. Um, but if you go all the way to the other side, creative and transforming, you get, you know, students who instead of writing papers are, you know, making uh, video documentaries or audio podcasts, uh, coding their own apps, um, recreating scenes with VR. Here students are, you know, creating learning products that represents significant synthesis of new information. And the technology is what allows for that to um, occur, right? Um, you know, you, you need that to create. And I, I was thinking a lot, Emily, actually about our ChatGPT episode here, that when we are talking about, you know, what AI um, tools, um, you know, are going to sort of allow us to do um, and what it will hopefully maybe get us a, a little bit away from is more into this area of the creative amplifiers, creative transformers, interactive transformers, interactive amplifiers, those kind of things um, where students are taking information and we're interacting with it, we're being creative with it. Um, and that's, you know, what the, the purpose of technology, but also the, the purpose of information, the purpose of learning. Um, and I think to many students today, sometimes they look at, at papers or, you know, some of those old passive models, um, and maybe rightly, and I, I, I thought that this was a very good point, look at something like a passive worksheet and say, you know, why, why am I doing this, right? You know, not, not just I'm not engaged for any reason, but, you know, I, I don't necessarily feel like I'm interacting with the material. I don't see that sort of in, intrinsic connection, but opposed to telling students, you know, you're going to make your own podcast, you're going to, um, you know, work on your own documentary, you're going to conduct interviews, um, you're going to be um, exchanging materials with other students um, that they're going to use to help them study. Um, so, so something like that, it was, was really, really useful to me, um, just in terms of giving myself a framework to think about um, technology. And I, I think that this is a really great thing for teachers who work either in cyber environments like we do, or just have a lot of access to technology to just sort of make a list of, you know, what are we using technology to do and see where it is on the pick rat model. And they'd be able to say, how could I move it, you know, either one square up or one, one square to the right um, to, you know, give it a little more oomph, um, a, a little bit more um, interactive, cre transformative, creative power um, that would de in the learning um, and also that sort of real world application for students. So cannot recommend it enough if it's not something that you've spent time with. Um, I think it's a really great model. And I will say, um, obviously, we can't put a ton of resources on our show notes for this one because not a lot of them are ours. Um, yeah. But the pick rat model is something that I'll throw on the show notes um, because that is a fairly common thing. Yes. Um, so I'll throw that on the show notes for you and the link to the magical extension. How about you, Emily? What was your uh, number two uh, for your tips, tools, or tricks? Um, so this one, I'm going to go with one of the instructional coaching sessions that we went to. It was the very it was what I alluded to at the very beginning of the episode it was the first session I went to um, and I was blown away. So shout out to Jackie. Um, it was the PL playbook tips and tricks from a coach. Um, and she had a ton of great resources and I have so many ideas. I still, as I'm starting to kind of um, wrap up a little bit from this year, as we get into um, testing season here after spring break, 
um, and start to kind of wrap my brain a little bit around some planning for next year, I keep going back to them and being like, okay, what can I start kind of thinking? Maybe do I want to implement from next year? Um, but I really liked her definition. So she made a clear distinction between PD, professional development, and PL, professional learning. Ooh. Um, yeah. So she said PD, professional development, is trainings that teachers receive that is one time, no follow-up, sit, get, got it, done. Whereas professional learning is when teachers drive their own learning and growth and it's job embedded and there's teacher agency involved. And I loved that distinction. And I know it's something that the two of us have talked about a ton and we're both kind of pushing in our own schools for more teacher agency and teacher voice and choice um, because we both say if we're talking about giving learners more voice and choice, why are we not giving teachers more voice and choice? Um, so I just, I really liked that distinction. Um, and the resources she provided were just top notch. Um, I was, was going to say, Emily, was she the one who had the um, professional development subscription boxes? Yes. Talk about those because I thought that was the most yeah. clever thing. I was like, yeah. I like, I, I don't know that I have the bandwidth to do that next year, but like, man, is it a, a reach goal? I love it. Yeah. So I, it's on my, I want to try it for next year. Um, so yeah. So she has, um, here we go. Um, the, um, professional learning subscription boxes and basically what they are are you it's a play on like any subscription box that you get so stitch fix any um like you can get them for your dogs or cheese of the month like all of those um so think about a professional learning need and then put together a subscription box around that topic. So you could put, if you're going to do a physical box, um, put in maybe some articles, um, some maybe QR codes, some activities around this um, thing, maybe some snacks, um, some other little fun goodies in there, and then deliver it. Um, I'm trying to figure out how exactly to convert it um, to cyber, whether I just do something like completely online, we whether I do like a mix of like something on one sheet of paper that I can actually put in the mail for some fun with like a fun little goodie inside. Um, so I am currently as soon as teachers get back from spring break, I am going to, I do have a survey ready to go for them for like ideas of professional learning that they want for next year. So I can start kind of wrapping my brain around topics because I didn't want to start like working on them until 
I know what topics they want. So once I have a topic, then I want to start figuring out how exactly to do it. But I really loved that idea. Um, I, I think it's so smart and so adaptable to a classroom. So I, yeah. I heard this and was like, yes, 100%. For, for my teams, I think it could be cool. Um, you know, there's always like, th- this is the year of particular topic. Um, you know, here's a, a tool, a template, you know, some resources, some articles, you know, some things around it. Great. We like it. We love it. Um, but in a classroom, man, you could do some really cool stuff um, with subscription boxes, you know, throughout a unit, potentially, um, a great way to sort of house voice and choice. So if you're, you know, I I was, you know, an ELA teacher and you're always looking for students to do different kinds of readings. A a lot of my units were centered around a particular genre. Um, so you could very easily do, you know, here's a, a subscription box for certain topics, maybe that you enjoy reading about. And then throughout the year, you go to that that subscription box. And now you can read persuasive or informative or poetry about particular Mm -hmm. topics. Um, Or you could do it, 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 right? Um, There's different ways that you could do, you know, connections to the real world, right? Um, So you want to know why, you know, why this is important or, um, you know, here's, here's an example of, um, you know, how, how this maybe changed the course of history. So maybe it's historical readings that go along um, with different science you're learning, or maybe you do a subscription box about in the news. So um, if you see anything about these particular topics in the news, right, I'm, I'm working with one of my teams right now, and they do um, a ton of stuff having to do with like the weather and geological stuff and space. And there's always new stuff about that in the news, right? So if you had a subscription box that if you're like in a brick and mortar classroom, it could be really fun, um, because you could come in and maybe some days you would have like a little envelope that had an article about like, hey, you saw signed up for the subscription box of, you know, what's, what's in our class that that's in the news, right? Like here's the school article about space for you. Um, in the cyber environment, we could do the same thing by sending those subscription boxes through our email, um, or, you know, leaving them at the beginning, um, you know, of class when everybody's kind of getting set up, um, you could individually message them to students, like just a little link to their subscription box. So I, I can think of a ton of ways to, to use this. Um, that could be fun in a classroom as well. Just like, oh, I love seeing, adaptations of pop culture <laughs> kind of stuff um, in, in classrooms. Cause I, I think it's really fun and really novel. You could do it for like thinking ELA too. You could do it for books too. Like I remember in, uh, I think it was 11th grade English. Um, we just had to read like a certain amount of points, I think of books. So each book that we read was worth like a certain amount of points. So you had to read, I don't know, like 20 points a marking period. Love the game so vacation. Yep. You could read um any books that you wanted from I still remember from the closet. Like you had to I remember going and opening up the closet to pick the book. Um <laughs> but you could have like the subscription box for the book. So then it would have like the book and like an activity to go with it or something. Um, So you could do it that way too. If you had, and I think the books were like centered around a theme or something. So we like, even though we all were reading different books, we could have like class discussions about 
whatever the theme of that marking period was. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that that it has a lot of potential. Um, and you know, it even to it, you know, in, inside of our environment with teachers, um, I, I love the idea of sending things. Um, you know, it, it's so rare. I think even today, you know, when I go to my mailbox, ninety percent of the time it's like junk mail. So to get, you know, even something small um, that's related to the theme of your year. Um, could, could be something that's really kind of fun and interesting. That could be another fun way to do it too, is have teachers pick a particular theme or maybe a word, um, you know, that goes along with that year. And, you know, at each quarter, can you send them a little something related to their theme? And it, it sort of depends on how big your teams are. I have 21 teachers, so it might be a little easier for me than for you. But <laughs> yeah. I basically, I can think of cool ways to do it. I think it's a fun idea. All good stuff. Um, I also have a professional development uh, concept to discuss uh, for my my final one, my tips and topics. I want to give a big shout out to uh, the Bermudan Springs School District coaching team who all came um, and gave their instructional coaching treasure chest. And I have to say, this truly was a treasure chest of resources. And as a new IC, I was so grateful um, for everything that they shared. Um, their session involved a couple of great components. Um, the first one that they talked about was the power of a story. And I think in education, we have a tendency to talk about whys, like remember your why. Um, and I think sometimes teachers look at that, remember that why. And it's not always something that you can easily connect to because like why is not a verb, <laughs> like it's not an action. Um, and the the nice thing about this was that they the, their coaching team um, had their teachers do this uh, process where they took um, the Pixar storytelling formula and they had teachers use that to write the story of their like their space in education. Um, and let me tell you, when we did this as a group inside of just the, the people who were at Pete and C, it was really marvelous to see um, what those stories sounded like. So I'm, I'm just going to go ahead here and I'm going to read um, one of the examples that they give. Now, this is um, how Southwest um, had used this particular model, the, the Pixar storytelling model, which goes once upon a, uh, once upon a time every day but one day because of that, because of that, because of that until finally and ever after since they, you know, blank. Um, so you, you fill in the blanks there. And here was Southwest using this model um, in an advertisement um, to tell the story of like what kind of made Southwest like a great place to fly. So once upon a time, there was a man and a woman who planned their destination wedding every day. They became more and more excited as their big day grew nearer. But one day their flight was canceled. Dun, dun, dun. Because of that, they had to book a later flight on another airline that wouldn't get them to their wedding destination in time. Because of that, the entire crew and cabin worked together to create their wedding in the sky. What? Because of that, they were able to walk down the aisle until finally they were married. And ever and ever since then, they've lived happily ever after. Um, so here, what what's powerful about this, right, is that you know you're you're taking this company and you're giving them this really personalized story of what makes Southwest different, um, and it helps you know a, a company to determine where they should be putting their energy and what, you know, what, what story is being told about them. Um, and I think Emily and I, at the beginning of the season, you know, we did that podcast about sort of finding your teacher spark again. And this, this exercise I felt like was a really strong one. Like what's your teacher story? Once upon a time, where were you every day? 
What is your life like as a teacher? One day, what was the thing that changed? Because of that, what do you hope will happen? Because of that, what do you hope will happen? Because of that, what what do you hope will happen? Until finally, what what do you, what do you hope will happen? Right? Um, really, really powerful. Um, much more powerful, at least for me, than than just find your why. Because here's action. Here's a story. Here's a narrative. You know, I, I always used to tell my students, you know, we as human beings are hardwired to a narrative. We want to overcome something together. Um, and so I, I went through and wrote my own uh, little story, um, story of like my instructional coaching and sort of what, what I hope that to do, um, or even how far you've come, right? I think, you know, many teachers in the last several years have really gone through quite a lot, quite a challenge. And, and this is a great way to sort of give yourself um, a pat on the back as well. So this was a fantastic exercise. Um, another really fantastic thing that they um, talked about was their coaching uh, continuum. Um, they are a school that also uses a modified version of the impact cycle. I got some great ideas um, about how to make my own impact cycles um, a little bit um, just more refined, um, more, more insightful, um, maybe, maybe a little more user-friendly, um, in a school district that doesn't look exactly like Jim Knights does. And, and that was sort of really useful in their treasure chest. But one, one of the tools that they had was this coaching continuum where, you know, you talk about how teachers have different needs of their coaches, the same way students have different needs, um, of their teachers. And, you know, I think right now we're, in education, there's a huge talk about this engagement crisis that students don't necessarily seem to be as connected as they were, you know, before the pandemic, before a lot of things. Um, and, and this is a, a real um, issue that a lot of teachers are having and looking for um, a way to kind of move forward. So they here in this this coaching group um, basically made a continuum that started from like the door is closed. And, you know, I'm just trying to get myself to be able to say like, you know, once, once or twice, you know, a, you know, a, a week or something, can, can I get them to say hi to me? Um, slowly, can we work our way up um, that continuum to the point that they are um, being involved? So it starts with closed door, greeting, tech help, um, receptiveness to resources, receptiveness to professional development, resource seeking, strategy seeking, co-planning, modeling, open to impact cycle, impact cycle seeking. Um, this this was easily one of the most powerful tools I'd seen um, because when you think about those relationships that you're building with teachers, um, you know, it helps you to sort of navigate that process of slowly building that relationship that someone you're just used to having greetings with um, for you to go right to co-planning with them in their classroom, right? That's a huge jump. Um, but this shows a, a lot of how you can build that path. And I thought that it was very similar to a path that could be used for student engagement as well. That if you have students that are, are shut down, that just being able to get in there with those, those uh, frequent greetings, right? Um, are, are we making those personalized connections to, um, are, are you getting them to uh, to help them with the, the mechanics of the class, you know, do you have that pencil? Do you need help logging into this thing? To receptiveness to your to your resources, to your feedback, to eventually getting them to the point where they're seeking that out from you, and they feel like they have a pathway to do that. To collaborating with you and other students, to being a model, to you know, being somebody who's really in fully engaged and immersed in your learning process. Um, I, I thought that was really powerful as a way to think about student engagements on a continuum as well. Um, so just incredibly powerful. Um, I thought they were, they're doing really cool stuff there. And it, it was so fun to learn um, from them and, and from all of the cool things that they're doing in their groups. Yeah, I also liked that they had, because I went to that same session too, 
Um, I also really like that they had the idea of talking to every person every two weeks. Um, and they like, I think they said they like kept notes. So they knew that like, if they had talked, if they hadn't talked to somebody in a while, um, now they only have 30 to 40 teachers and I have like a hundred. Um, <laughs> so I might have to stretch that out a little bit. Um, but there are some teachers that I know that I have not talked to this year at all. Um, so that's something that I definitely want to make sure I am more intentional about next year. Um, trying to reach out and talk to every single teacher, even if it is just like a quick, hi, how you doing? Um, I am, do you need anything? Uh, so I really liked that idea. Like I might just try like once a quarter to talk to all of my teachers. Um, so I liked that idea from them as well. Um, in addition to that continuum, cause I also like that continuum. I, I thought it was really, really powerful um, and is once again, also something that I, I'd like to be more intentional about as well. Like that quick high am of just like, hey, how's it going? Anything you need to check in about? Awesome. Have a fantastic day. <laughs> Get yeah. your day started in, in a good place. Um, so that means we're on to our last uh, tip, trick, topic, tool, lots of teas this section. Um, Emily, what was your last uh, one to share with us today? Yeah, so my last one was actually one where I took advantage of the rule of two feet because I was in a session that just was not doing it for me. So I went to a different session. So I missed the very beginning of this one. Um, and I've not had a chance yet to go back to watch the very beginning of the recording, which I want to because the three quarters of it that I saw was fabulous. Um, so it was inviting the Fred method into your school from Tracy Andrews and Jen Tony again, um, who they are also fabulous people and fabulous presenters. Um, so shout out to them. And it was based around the book, When You Wonder Your Learning, and um, all about inviting curiosity and doing all sorts of things. And I picked up two really good tips that I absolutely love and have been sharing with my teachers. So one is an ask it basket for unrelated questions. So anybody who teaches elementary, even middle schoolers, um, you know, they just have those unrelated questions that have nothing to do with what you're teaching. You ask, do you have any questions? And you're teaching about the solar system. And a kid raises their hand and they say, how fast does a cheetah run? Um, and you say, that's an excellent question. Put that in the ask it basket. And then at a specific time, you go back to your ask it basket. And then you can research all of those unrelated questions that have nothing to do with what you're teaching. Um, but it's great because it allows them to ask those questions and keeps that curiosity and it doesn't just squash them and say that has nothing to do with what we're learning right now um and it's basically like a parking lot for all of those unrelated questions and something you can very easily do on a padlet a collaborate yep. board in your pod like if you want to do it digital it's doable people it's doable yeah yeah i literally wrote in my notes use padlet <laughs> <laughs> we think very <laughs> Yeah. 
Uh, it's perfect for that because they can just and you can just keep that as a running padlet to just keep going. Um, so I just I loved that idea because it can be a spot for them to just put those questions and just keep them there and then they don't have to try to keep them in their head. Um, and they really which also this is like the perfect full circle moment. Um talked about spending lots of time in the beginning of the year building that community so your learners feel safe asking those questions and building their curiosity and being afraid to make mistakes and doing all of those good fail forward things that we love to see from them. Um, so really to set the tone in your classroom, um, which I think is the perfect full circle moment because that goes back to our very first topic from you about Melissa's improv presentation. Yes. <laughs> no, it's it, it's so true, right? Um, and I, I think that that's one of the things that I, I spend a lot of time in discussion about, you know, it, curriculum is obviously very important, getting through curriculum and, and all that kind of stuff. I think we all know that there's a, a ton of standards and a ton of material. Um, my own personal teaching really changed the second that I was like, man, my first week, I'd say my last couple years of teaching, like two weeks, was all community building, routine setting, just that kind of stuff. Um, and it really does make a big difference, especially um, when you are at a distance, you know, the, the same way we are, um, to be able to have students feel like I've made personal connections with the people who are in my class and I know how to connect with my teacher and I know, you know, generally how certain things are going to be done so that then when I do get into the learning, I always said, I want the learning to be the star um, once we've learned what the routines are, right? Like that should be the fun thing is whatever we're learning about, whatever we're inquiring about, um, that becomes the topic. Um, and if so, if for the first two weeks of class, you know, it's a lot of games, it's a lot of, you know, um, community stuff, that's, that's okay, because I'm teaching them, you know, even if we're just talking about ourselves, how to have a discussion, even if we're just talking about, um, you know, playing improv games, um, how to, you know, respond to one another or to use different tools in our classroom. Um, even if we're doing a digital escape room, right, that may not seem related, we're teaching you, you know, if you're feeling stuck or something feels really hard, how do you collaborate with another person? How do you reach out to the teacher? Because we've deliberately created challenges for, for you to do that. All that stuff really matters. Um, you know, spending that time in, in, in the beginning to set your standards for what you expect when students do have that kind of new energy and the bar is a little bit lower because you're not asking them to, to dive into content right away. Um, I, I do think it makes a, a genuine difference. And so in, in the same way, um, this was another one that I, I did watch on the recording and I, I really connected with this moment um, from, from these presenters as well. Um, so I, needless to say, guys, this was a very successful Pete. Um, I wish that honestly, I could just like sit here and recap like every single <laughs> thing that we learned. And this, this is how Emily and I fell down the rabbit hole together was just trying to figure out, you know, which, which ones were the ones to share. And there's so much more. Um, so if you have the opportunity to, you know, 
register for next year. Um, you know, it, it is one of those things where if you're presenter, um, primary presenter, you're you're able to go. You know, the, your conference fee is basically covered. Um, so absolutely worth it. And I think we're back at Hershey next year. Is that correct, Emily? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay, so hot chocolate. And peanut butter pie, you guys. Hot chocolate and peanut butter pie, also a great reason to be there. Um, So guys, thank you so much uh, for joining us on this episode of the Cyber Sisters podcast. Um, We will be back with a new episode next month. Um, And in that meantime, please keep in touch with us on our socials, particularly if you were also at Pete and C, or if any of these resources are things that you've done yourself or have connections to, you know, we'd love to hear about it, uh, whether on Twitter um, or in the comments section of any of our podcasts. Um, So we are on Twitter at at Allison K. Teaches and at Settler Cyber. As always, we appreciate keeping that conversation common. Please like, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, keep trying hard.